back in the game. This is the Sunday Show. I'm Rodney Cyrus. I hope you're well. Welcome back. Looking back at the key points throughout this week, we're going to start here. In the last podcast, I ended the show with the following words. For the world to change, the world of education too must change. So real change can actually take place. Let's make it so. So at the beginning of the week, we find a very peculiar story on the front page. A front page and back page, a 12-year-old boy has been arrested for sending racist messages, hateful messages, hurtful messages, images to a footballer. I wonder how things were going to pan out for the rest of the week. A 12-year-old racist, that's what we have. That's what we have, that's what we're dealing with in, in the world, that individuals, regardless of their age, can set up accounts and send racist messages, hurtful messages, hurtful images to people of colour. This is where we are. <sighs> education needs to change, but the individuals within education also need to change because they impact on the world of sport. They are supporters and fans of the world of sport. So if they don't change, the world of sport will not change. It's important that the world of sport, whether it's football, baseball, rugby, is part of that change, is part of that education. So they stand up clearly and loudly and say the same things. We are against racism. We are against hurtful messages. We are against images of hate. We are against it and we will not tolerate it. There are big questions. There are bigger, bigger questions in terms of education and sport and how the two go hand in hand in changing the world into a place that we all want to live in. But we need to start. We need to have that conversation. It's not just about a 12-year-old boy. It's about those around him, those layers that we have in life. It's not just the individual, but the family set up, the friends set up, the social network set up, the school set up all of those things and more. That was at the beginning of the week. We have so many other things to talk about, but we will come back to them. The other big news of the week, biggest news, trumpets blaring, banners flying. No Champions League ban for Manchester City, despite every angle of their case being scrutinised as a child will study a Rubik's Cube while displaying the look of being puzzled, it became clear to the rest of the football world that Manchester City and their fully flush owners would be able to once more put on their best dancing shoes and their suit and shimmy along to the Champions League theme tune just like everyone else. The overturned ban resulted in condemnation of the whole process and prompting many questions. First question, why were they banned in the first place? So serious, serious, why were they banned? You know, if they're only going to be fined, why was this not the first course of action? Why wasn't it the first course? If they're just going to be fined, why didn't they just find them in the first place? Some say it's because they didn't participate in a trial about their guilt or their alleged guilt. Just like anyone else in trouble who can refuse to say anything in, in their defence. They refuse to say anything at a trial that they thought that they had not done nothing wrong. And therefore, the ban which was looming over their head has disappeared, which has upset so many fans. 
in fifth and sixth and seventh place. The hope of getting into Champions League football is terrible. If they were innocent, if they were truly innocent, why were they being fined? Why were they being fined? And if they were innocent, why did they have to pay the fine? And if they were really innocent, why was an, a fine actually put forward if they were truly innocent? I'm very confused. Are you confused? I'm confused. I'm very, I'm very confused. Manchester City scene, you broke the rules by using, and this is me using my own sense, common sense, trying to simplify what's been said many, many times. They were using their own money from another business to support their football business. Yeah, that's right. They didn't go to the bank and take out an enormous loan to finance their dealings or players' wages, salaries, dividends. They didn't do that. They foolishly did not go into debt or increase season ticket prices to fund deals. They didn't do any of those things. Not one of these options did they do. They didn't take any of those options to, to, to benefit themselves or to be at the detriment of someone else, their fan base. They didn't. They simply used their own cash, their own money, and this was not in line with the rules before COVID-19. But we are in a post-COVID-19 world. And post-COVID-19, where businesses are being pushed to the limit, literally. Having your own money is a good thing. Whether it's in politics, whether it's in private business, whether it's in football, having your own money is a good thing. And therefore, you are rewarded accordingly. So it would seem very unlikely, even with the fact that they were only using their money and everything else seems to just fall away, that they didn't get a ban. Are we shocked? No. Are we upset? Maybe a little bit. Depends on who you support. But I am not surprised. And so many people shouldn't be surprised that they didn't get the ban that everyone believed that they were going to get. Because technically, their owners are cash rich. So they can pretty much do what they want. In a world in football where we have seen fans go into debt to buy season tickets, clubs go into debt to buy players, clubs go into debt to pay wages, clubs go into debt on new stadium builds. Manchester City in a very different position. Their owners are cash rich. They can do what they like. And that's why they were penalised. They are not the old world. They are the new world money. And it upsets a lot of people. When you are... Can, when you consider that they are being punished for using their own money, then you have to ask the, the real question, what were they actually looking for in the first place? What was the actual main aim of actually banning them in the first place if they're primarily they're being punished for using their money from another business to finance another business? It is, for some, the end of financial fair play. And who do we find giving quotes uh, at the beginning of the week, uh, the mainstream media go to two individuals because Arsene Wenger is no longer available. They go to Jose Mourinho and they go to Jurgen Klopp. Both of them expressed their dismay. Both of them declared it was open season for clubs to do what they want. Now, Jose Mourinho has played for, managed, for Ch managed Chelsea, who are a cash-rich club. They too had been banned previously, fined previously, then things disappeared, obviously. Um, when you have an owner that can spend their own money, then it makes things very, very, very difficult and different for everyone else. Uh, did I mention about going to the bank and taking out a big loan and seemingly not paying it back, but it won't be frowned upon? Yeah, I, I think I did. 
um, the decision has caused a rift and it will cause a rift between the managers of those clubs who aren't owned by cash rich owners and the others. Special treatment can be regarded as well, special. And this usually prompts sniping comments. Um, but the Manchester City manager is not one to sit back and say nothing. Pep Guardiola responded to the comments by making a statement in the Guardian newspaper uh, regarding Jose and Klopp. He said that managers should know um, that we were damaged, he says, in terms of Manchester City. And we should be apologised to. Um, if we did nothing wrong, we'll accept. we will accept the decision, he's saying, of UEFA and CAS. Um, they expect an apology, but they paid a fine and they did nothing wrong. Yeah, I did say I was confused. It is it is confusing and I'm sure you're confused as well. Pep's stance is a simple one. He speaks for the club. They, the club, have the right to defend themselves like anyone else when they've been accused of doing something wrong, especially when you've been accused of doing something wrong while using your own money. You will defend yourself. That's what you're expected to do. And you'll do so at every opportunity at every moment that you can. And if that means by saying nothing, which they chose to do, then I don't understand why they were fined for not saying anything or participating in a trial about their alleged guilt when they were actually found not to be guilty and therefore the ban was removed. I'm very confused. I'm sure you're confused. This is just the beginning of the week. This is just the beginning of the week. Any accusations of committing an offence aimed at an individual or organisation usually brings about damages. It damages the reputation of the organisation. Oh, excuse me. It damages the reputations of the individuals linked to the organisation. It damages the reputation of the clubs and the league. It does all of those things. But when you actually have a long-winded case where someone has been banned supposedly for two years, probably financial implications, and then the ban disappears, then those that actually put forward the original charge then you start to kind of think about their reputation and their reputation is damaged because you would expect them to have all of the uh, information, the documentation they require to actually seek out the evidence and get to the end of the trial or the investigation that they glaringly said to everyone, this club was guilty of doing something. And then many, 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 many months down the line, they say, no, they're not actually guilty of doing anything and therefore the ban has been lifted. And again, I did say this is only the beginning of the week, but it is the biggest story of the week because it has implications for the rest of the league, the rest of the Premier League and how things move forward. Do we have faith in the governing bodies? Probably not. I believe that they've been shattered. Uh, whether we're talking about VAR, but we're talking about much bigger organisations about the handling of uh, an investigation about wrongdoing in football, uh, the, the organisations, we don't believe in them anymore. Fans don't believe in them anymore. Managers don't believe in them anymore. Journalists don't believe in them anymore. Uh, are they worth their sorts? No one actually can say yes to that. Um, it is a very, very, very difficult position to be in for the world of football. And in a time where football is seen as this beacon of light, this beacon of hope, this uh, vanguard at the front, the, the front end of the, the, the education to, to make the world a better case or better place, should I say, then it is really, really important that when you have organisations that seem to be doing so many good things in the local community, um, helping out in organisations, charities right across their city, the city in which the club is based in, that then they would be up in front of uh, another organisation uh, uh, with claims that they have um, been, you know, dealing 
incorrectly or wrongly uh, in terms of football matters and then found out to be not guilty. It is very, very strange. We've all witnessed, away from the world of football, um, sporting individuals breaking rules, they've been accused of things. We could look at cycling, we can look at any sport. There have been individuals in football who have broken rules, individuals in, in, in football who have um, been found out for taking drugs, not taking drugs, failing a drug test, all of those things. You know, all of the mudslinging that happens, it happens, and yet still those individuals are allowed to compete on an individual basis. It's no different for Manchester City, even though they were seen to be guilty for using their own money. No one can actually say that they shouldn't be allowed or should not be allowed to play in the competition. They didn't do anything wrong within that competition. It's within the world of football. And if the Premier League have not stepped in to counteract the accusations and say, we too stand by your accusations and say that they are guilty, then it seems very, very unclear as to what the original claim was and whether the actual two-year ban was valid in the first place. The clock is ticking again. Manchester City can roll on. The, this decision in itself, as I say, are moving away from Manchester City. We're still at the beginning of the week. Has literally ramped up the race for the top four in terms of the actual football that's left in, in the, the remaining games. The old Arsene Wenger claim in the real, you know, it's that what we need to do it is get to top four because it is it is a, a trophy. That's what we're looking at right now. The league is done and dusted in terms of Liverpool, so everyone wants to be top four. Top four is a trophy. Getting into the Champions League is a trophy. Who knew that the contenders would be Chelsea, Manchester United, Wolves, Leicester, all vying to be in that top four place. Scrapping, kicking one another in between drinks breaks and... Um, fake fans, they're doing their level best to actually get to the top four. It's going to be one of those, who's going to be the winners, who's going to be the losers, there's going to be heartache, there'll be heartburn. No one will know what's going to happen in terms of this decision that's from Manchester City. But we can see clearly that for the games that are left, those clubs will be turning over in their sleep at the fact that they no longer have a, a definite buy-in into top four, definite buy-in into the Champions League. They now have to go the old-fashioned route, the pre-COVID-19 route of getting to top four, whether it's third place or fourth, and then actually going through the qualifiers, if there are qualifiers for the next season's Champions League, because this Champions League season hasn't yet uh, resumed or been completed. It's going to be really really interesting out of the contending managers you have Brendan Rodgers is it going to be Oli is it going to be Frank everyone is watching over to those guys it's going to be interesting to see what's happening in the rest of the week so much in terms of big news stories the other big story at the beginning of the week was not related to face masks no it wasn't it was related to someone who failed to mask their identity when posting hate messages of a racist nature to a footballer. Yes, we mentioned it at the beginning. Splashed across the back pages, we saw headlines of a 12-year-old boy who'd been arrested for sending uh, racist messages to Crystal Palace player Wilfred Zaha. Uh, there was swift action. It uh, reported that the West Midland Police stated that racism would not be tolerated. Uh, there are two sides to this story. And they're not necessarily clear. 
the first is the footballer, football players, the first in itself is, let me be clear about this, is that football players will no longer tolerate the racial abuse and silence. They have decided to make sure that everyone knows. And if there is abuse, they're going to let everyone know, they're going to share it. No longer will they be, um, I'm sure those claims will come, I'll say this, the phrase, why don't you just suck it up or take it on the chin? You know, because it's just banter. I'm sure there are individuals out there who will still try and use those phrases if someone's, you know, has received racist abuse or they've received racist images or hateful messages. But Wilfred Zaha, in his case, has decided enough is enough. He's not doing it anymore, uh, which is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do because we are in a very, very, um, not so much difficult time, but positive time for change and, and movement and action and and dialogue, which is very, very important. And part of that dialogue is all around the education. Remember how I started with regards to education needs to change? Education is the key, right? First and foremost, it is the key to changing hearts and minds. It's, it is the most important thing. Education in schools, education in football clubs, education uh, between supporters, fellow supporters, among supporters um, of different sports, different nations, very, very important. Education is key. Now, it is, it is, it is impossible, impossible not to understand within the world of education that part of this is about the dialogue between the victim and the perpetrator. And we use the perpetrator as a kind of broad sense word. He's 12. 12. You know, what, what can you do? You know, you, you, you have to kind of treat this young individual as a child. They are still a child. And, and it is really important for us uh, who are looking on, on the story as adults who don't know the individual to open our eyes to what it is that our young people are actually engaged in. You know, whether we're talking about parents, whether we're talking about uncles, dads, um, aunts, mothers, we need to open our eyes and actually see what it is that they're doing. Um, some will call it prying eyes. Maybe so. But, you know, when a 12-year-old boy can actually send messages such as he did, then we need to have more than just prying eyes. We need to be vigilant. There needs to be a, a sense of urgency. There needs to be a sense of dialogue. And there needs to be a, a sense that someone is actually going to step in and actually have a conversation with the young person involved. Um, and ask questions as to why, you know, and a, a very important part of any kind of movement is mediation. Mediation is important, uh, not just where there's been a violent crime, but in terms of where there's been some kind of disagreement, how you can move forward. And that is part and parcel of the education. With mediation, you do a number of things. You find out what harm has, has been caused by uh, the individual, how it's impacted on the person who's received the hateful messages or images what was their intention why did they send the messages what did they aim to get out of the messages do they realize that the messages um, have hurt the individual and the individuals around that individual like their family members what would they do imagine if their parent had received the messages all those images how would they feel or similar thing you know or the thing that everyone says what happens if you know, the messages were sent to your mom and everyone gets their back up. You don't say mention my mom. That's true. Well, how do you feel? And the mediation is about a conversation. 
And it's not just about having a conversation with parents, it's a conversation with the individual that actually sent the messages from his account. I'm not trying to say, or am I going to suggest that it was someone else in the household that did it, it might have been an uncle, it might have been an older brother. His account, therefore, the conversation needs to take place with him initially and then with everyone else around him. Very, very important. It is a wholehearted, holistic approach. And football needs to have the same approach with regards to Wilf Zaha as the police will have with regards to the 12-year-old boy who sent the message. There needs to be a conversation on both sides. How did it make you feel? Who did it hurt? Who else in your family did it hurt? How did it impact them? What can we do to help you get through this? It's okay to say that you don't know or we haven't actually looked at anything like that yet and apart from saying we stand by but there does need to be a conversation mediation has to take place on both sides from those who have received the hurtful messages and images and those who sent the hurtful messages and images education is key and football is education sport is education it's a language that we speak freely in every country around the world we absolutely love it but uh, with language, there has to be a certain amount of learning. And we have to learn that sometimes, like with each generation, there is slight nuances and changes in the way words are used and their definition and their meaning to that generation. So as much as sport is seen as a, a worldwide phenomenon, the language in sport, the languages within sport and how things were done previously are not necessarily how they're going to be done today and tomorrow. Anyway, more news throughout the week. Moving away from 12-year-old boys and hateful messages, we're going to go and talk about women's football. Women's football, it is reported that the majority of the, let me get this right, women's Super League clubs uh, would prefer their divisions to be run independently and not run by the Premier League, who basically have a very strong grip on the top tier of men's football, not the bottom tier, not the, not the table below but just the top tier. So you can understand why the women's game aren't necessarily interested in it just being down to the Premier League because what would happen? It would just be the top tier. Uh, what the Premier League does do very, very well is take care of the top tier of men's football. Very, very well. They do it so well, but the women's game needs more than that. It needs something other than an organisation geared up towards just strengthening the top. It needs building across all of its structures, the infrastructure of the women's game, right across the board from top to bottom. It needs support in every, every level. So as much as it sounds uh, financially appealing that the Premier League wants to be involved in women's football, um, if it's only going to be about the top tier, then it's not going to work. It's not going to work for fans and it definitely isn't going to work for everyone who's interested in watching women's football, unless you're just interested in your team and you just don't care. Um, this scenario is um, a very, very strange one, very strange one, because I posed this question some time ago about the women's game being sponsored by uh, another organisation, you know, another entity, and not necessarily um, the Premier League. But it's interesting that um, the, the women, the, the players and the clubs want to be independent. They don't want to be necessarily governed by the Premier League. And let's be honest, the Premier League and the FA haven't necessarily done the women's game that much 
in terms of favours recently and we can talk about them closing we can talk about the actual lack of funding for testing we can talk about the you know the, the, the inability for them to actually play games behind closed doors like the men's we can we can talk about all of those things we can talk about all of those things but in terms of the women get getting um funding or being uh, governed by an organization my suggestion, and this is nothing to do with the biggest stories, but if the Premier League are suggesting there could be counter offers from already established online streaming platforms that could boost the women's game, like Amazon. Um, imagine the Women's Super League and the FA Championship being played on Amazon Prime. You know that they have the platform to show every game at, as, at the same time, and you can bounce between games. Imagine that in terms of building and growing and promoting the women's game, not necessarily just down to the Premier League, who would only be interested in looking at the top tier. So there is a very big difference in terms of actually buying into and promoting the women's game, as opposed to just investing in one section of the women's game and hoping that the rest kind of tag along, you know, if they can keep pace. It's very, 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 very distant differences. Uh, the WSL have yet to restart and they you know clubs have just begun to train players have started to train uh, it's it's going to be very very difficult for them to kind of digest and but they may be interested in the Premier League taking over but I say how will that trickle down to the other teams to the other leagues I, I find it very 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 difficult to to kind of see that happening but you know lots can happen and we will see where it goes um the talking points around the women's game isn't necessarily restricted to the uk this week there was an article there was an article that jumped out at me and uh twitter feed link uh, about the game in europe women's game um we can you know so those who think i'm taking pot shots at the women's super league they can just rest a little bit easy because i'm shifting to european focus for a moment um Andelek in belgium right I'm, I'm laughing Andelek from belgium um comments and statements coming out from the club or linked to the club uh, and i i laugh and i jest at this because it just it did tickle me in a sense uh the cost of, of allowing women to play football is central, pretty much as in the UK, right? Female footballers need money to play. These same footballers need money to be tested so they can play. These same footballers would like a little more money so they can be considered in the same conversation as the men so they can play. I did say I wasn't talking about the UK, maybe a little bit. Uh, the female footballers at Andelex, right, during the past week or so, right, <laughs> they were informed that they didn't have to be tested because they may be less contagious within this worldwide coronavirus pandemic. Let me just get this right. The female footballers in, in Andelex were informed that they didn't have to be tested because, as women, they be they they um maybe less contagious right this is from the belgian football federation now the premise for this comment is because the cost of testing is far too high which says a lot about the coronavirus it says so much about how there is a, a hierarchy in terms of those of importance and who 
will be tested and where the finances and budgets will go as to those who will not be tested and where the budget does not go and does not flow. Um, in all truth, like seriously, women are not really contagious. I mean, as, as the business, as a business thing, that, that, that absolutely makes no sense at all. Um, it's, it's kind of like there, there's been a crime and the police officer says, move along, there's nothing to see here, please move along, move along. You know, I had no idea that the coronavirus in 2020 or any year operated on an agenda bias basis for footballers. Being a female footballer, right, if you are less contagious, then they should definitely be tested, right? Because why not? If they're less contagious, that means all the tests will come back negative. There won't be no follow-on treatment. They won't necessarily be asked to isolate or quarantine for 14 days, right? On that basis alone, you know, you would say, hey, you're going to be less contagious. We can get you back into the grounds playing football. Hey, and guess what? Because females are less contagious, we will make sure that all the grounds have female-only fans because they are less contagious too. I mean, you couldn't make any more BS up out of anything with regards to the coronavirus. I've, seriously, where do you go with women are less contagious and therefore the reason we haven't tested them is because they're less contagious, you know, they're less contagious. How does that work? You know, so for women, that's great. As a female footballer, you know you can go to a ground and play football with your fellow female footballers because you're less contagious. You'll be able to be in the ground and hear the, the screams and shouts of your fans, of all the female fans, because they're less contagious. You will know that the guy that usually goes to football and coughs without covering his mouth will not be in the ground, so therefore you will be less contagious. I'm blown away. I'm blown away. I'm blown away. With so much money, right? With so much money in football, right? There is absolutely bucket loads of money. Just ask an agent how much they get paid. It begs belief that when it comes down to looking out for a player's well-being, physical, mental, medical, of sporting athletes, that there is a line for him and her. You're over there and you're over there. You can't get a test because we think you are less contagious, so that's okay. Bonkers. There are so many levels of being stupid, you only have to take a deep breath and count to 10 and then repeat the process again and then probably walk away because you don't want to lose your tempo. Anyway, moving away from um, being less contagious, football, um, big news on the football front, transfer window shifting it's it's happening there are going to be transfers in a transfer window who knew reports on the bbc website said that the transfer window will now open for quite a long time from the 27th of july running right up to the 5th of october 2020 that's huge considering the amount of time that clubs have had off and they could have actually been uh, negotiating and don't get me started with CEOs being furloughed I don't buy any of that nonsense uh, Premier League clubs and the Football League clubs will be restricted in the UK to a domestic window of transfers only which begins a near period that's a domestic, a domestic transfer window from the 5th of October to the 16th so there's lots of scope for players to move around from here into Europe and then by a certain date 
transfers within the UK boundaries only, must be a Brexit thing, um, is going to take place between the 5th and the 16th of October. Um, no transfers between Premier League clubs during that period. Oh, gosh. Imagine. So anyone who's having a stinker is definitely going to have to move before the start of the season. So 2021 transfer window there, lengthy period, and um, the possibility, or it seems like, the continued use of five substitutes, which kind of takes it in almost to American football style of the number of, they might have special teams, uh, you know, make a substitute for penalties and then bring them up. It's like rolling subs for seven aside. It's needed, I take it. It's a very unusual period and gonna, this COVID-19, uh, you know, cancellation or termination or, or moment where the, the, the league paused for a few months has, has kind of had a knock-on effect. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about uh, the five substitutes, but for me, I'm still scratching my head, so I may have to come back and talk about a little bit more about that next time. But five substitutes um, in a normal game, we will see. We will see. Games may last an hour and a half because the amount of time you get added on for a substitution, they may extend that as well. Instead of 30 seconds, they may make it a minute. Who knows? Right. And to round up our Sunday, the Sunday show, look back, the week ended with a whiff of hope, being like it was thrown on the barbie, all seasoned up. The Prime Minister indicated in his usual non-committal way, maybe, maybe not, uh, that there might be a sliver of hope where fans will be able to go back into the stadium around about November, possibly, who knows, maybe not. Not quite sure, depending. Doesn't want to commit necessarily, but it could happen. Um, certain number of fans going into stadiums, um, wearing face masks, hopefully socially distancing. Um, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. The grounds filled and packed capacity were a good thing before the coronavirus came along. Um, could this happen? Would it be a good thing? It's too soon to say. Um, and I'm sure many, many fans are eager to get back to the club and the ground that they they love to spend their weekends at. But it's, it's again, one of those where I'm going to need a little bit more time to talk about. But how would it be for everyone else? Who knows? It has offered a sliver of hope of fans coming together again and being, being in the belly of the stadium and cheering their team on. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. Um, when that does happen, I hope that it happens safely, but we have to wait and see. This is it. This is the Sunday show, part of the On and Off the Pitch bookshelf umbrella. I'm Rodney Cyrus, and I'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. And if you should listen to this on Apple Podcasts, why don't you just give it a five-star rating? Go on. You know you want to. This is me. I'm out. Until next week.